Dr. Rob Morgan tonight, and uh, he is a best-selling author. And uh, those of you that attend Flagship Church, uh, you know that uh, you've seen his book, Simple, around our building quite often. And he's written several other books. Maybe we'll get a chance to hear about a few of those tonight. But I'm really excited about the brand new book that has just been released. You may have seen uh, him on Fox News not long ago, uh, talking about this book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America. So Dr. Morgan, before we get into the book, can you just maybe introduce yourself to folks here in Erie that may not know you and uh, know about your ministry and just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll kind of get into the book here. Yeah, well, thank you, Daryl. I'm very happy to be with you. Uh, I'm a native Tennessean and grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee near uh, the Appalachian Trail, uh, just east of the Smokies, between the Smokies and the Blue Ridge. Um, I married uh, uh, my wonderful wife, Katrina, um, and who passed away last year after a long battle with multiple sclerosis. But we um, have three daughters, and they live here in the Nashville area, where, where uh, I primarily live now. Um, and uh, for um, many years, 40, uh, well, 37 years, I guess, I was the senior pastor of a church here in Nashville. Uh, and then because of her illness and, and some other things, I moved to more of an emeritus position with our church. I still serve there. Uh, but a lot of my time is spent um, writing and speaking at different events. Uh, and I'm grateful for all of the opportunities uh, that I have. And I'm very excited about 100 Bible verses that made America. Uh, this just came out this year. And uh, uh, I don't know, Daryl, in the last 24 uh, to 48 hours, something has happened that has spiked um, this book um, on the, um, uh, from the distributors. And we're trying to figure out what that is. But it's uh, uh, now as of today, like the, you know, in the, in the top, uh, was the number one book in, in, in certain genres uh, that it's listed in, and one of the most popular books right now in the country, and I don't know, we can't figure out, I didn't do a national interview uh, in the past week. Um, well, I did, but, but the, the timing of that interview doesn't correlate to the uh, spike in book sales, but I feel like that more than any other issue right now in politics, people need to understand the genuine Christian beginnings of our nation morally um, and, uh, and the role the Bible has played in our uh, national and in our political history. Everybody else is demanding that they're um, stories be told in our history books. Uh, and at the same time, the secularists are trying to erase the biblical and the Christian influence from the history books. And I think we need to be pretty aggressive in letting people know that nobody, uh, no other group, no other movement has done more the, to shape the history of America as an exceptional nation as uh, as Christians and no other book is the Bible. So, so maybe that message is just beginning to resonate. It it needs to, uh, because of the critical times we're in. 
We are certainly in critical times, and, and that was kind of kind of is a good lead into my next question. What kind of spurned you to not? That's probably not the right word. What, what kind of encouraged you rather to to write a book of this caliber? This is a little different than some of the other books that you've written in the past. Um, what 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 led you to to tackle this project? It came into my mind from nowhere. Uh, I had a publishing meeting with um, with my publishers and editors and and publicists about uh, two and a half years ago, I think. And I had some ideas uh, for book proposals, but I wasn't even myself as excited about those ideas as I should be. And I thought, you know, why? why don't I have an idea that I'm genuinely thrilled about pursuing? Uh, it was frustrating. And out of nowhere, uh, this idea came 100 Bible verses that made America. Uh, I love the Bible. It's, um, it is, uh, Daryl, there's no other book like the Bible. It is, you know, I've been in some great libraries. The largest library in the world is the British Library in London. Uh, the largest library in the United States is the Library of Congress, which is sort of the American equivalent of the British Library. Um, but there is not another library as extraordinary anywhere as the very small library that we hold in our hands that is made up of only 66 small books. Um, and I love this library. I've spent my life studying uh, the Bible, but I also enjoy history. Um, I've enjoyed history from my freshman year in college because of a great professor that I had. So, so I've done history and I've done um, armchair studies uh, and different things, but I'm not academically trained um, as a historian. But I knew enough American history to know uh, that the stories of our founding fathers and of other uh, Americans are stories that have been tremendously enriched and informed by the Bible. So I, I don't know where the idea came from except the Lord. But I said, why don't we do a book on 100 Bible verses that made America? And suddenly there was just Everybody around the table liked the idea. And so then I had to go to work uh, uh, researching it, but I've never had more fun researching a topic. Uh, <coughs> and so uh, <coughs> so that's kind of the way that it came about. It's as, uh, uh, as odd a story as that. Well, you mentioned, you know, people trying to kind of rewrite history a little bit. And uh, there's been a lot of pushback in recent years that, our country may not have the Christian founding uh, that a lot of people have said it has. In your research, uh, I'm assuming that, that you found what many of us believe that scripture and Christian principles did have a great bearing upon the founding and the blessing of our nation. Is, is that the case? Well, let me tell you the story. Um, you know, this continent was here inhabited by uh, Native Americans. Uh, but unknown largely uh, until the age of the explorers. And the Spanish explorers came 
um, starting with Columbus, but with others. There may have been explorers, you know, before that who who uh, had some idea uh, that there was a, a that there was land uh, on the western side of the Atlantic Ocean, but um, but we had the the Spanish explorers, we had the French colonizers, and then the British wanted to get into the act, and the British sought to establish three different colonies. The first was on the outer banks of um, North Carolina along Cape Hatteras. Um, and that colony just disappeared when they came back looking to find out what happened to the people. No one was here, you know, so it's called the lost colony. And if you go to uh, Ocracoke and the, the outer banks and, you know, where where the Wright brothers flew their plane later, uh, then you can go to the outdoor, um, uh, the outdoor drama, The Lost Colony. You know, what happened to that thing? The second attempt was at Jamestown. And Daryl, this was a secular attempt. This, this was not Christians coming in search of religious liberty. These were land grabbers and money-hungry people uh, wanting to come to discover gold and, and to import wealth and to claim territory for the British crown. And there was one Anglican pastor who came to Jamestown, but he died uh, along with so many other people very shortly afterwards. They did finally manage to survive and went up and established Jamestown but that 1619 establishing of Jamestown as a secular colony, as a secular colony, was what brought in the first slave and introduced slavery to the United States. It happened in the 1619 establishing of Jamestown. Well, a couple of years later, uh, there was a third colonizing attempt. And this one was very different from the others. It was not people looking for gold. It was not people wanting to exploit Native Americans. It was not people wanting to grab land. These were devout Puritan uh, separatists and dissenters who wanted to have religious liberty because they were being tremendously persecuted by the monarchy and by the authorities in England. And the reason they were being persecuted is because the Anglican church, which had, you know, Henry VIII uh, had separated from the papacy and from the Catholic, Roman Catholic uh, structure because he wanted to, to divorce and remarry. And, and he's pronounced himself the head of the church. Uh, and uh, and it, was, it was pretty corrupt. And there were people who wanted to purify it. And there were people who wanted to have separate congregations that were not a part of it. And they were persecuted mercilessly. And many of them went to Holland to seek religious freedom. And many of those then, uh, and a lot of them, by the way, Daryl, were graduates of Cambridge, the most educated, most brilliant, the cream of the crop of the... Uh, intellectual and spiritual giants of England, but they were driven out of the land. And so 
a group of them uh, chartered rooms on board or, or space on board the, the Mayflower. And they came and established, uh, they landed uh, north of Jamestown up in, in, at Cape Cod. Um, and they established, because they were outside of the scope of the, of the British monarchy's mandate, they established their own uh, constitution, the Mayflower Compact which says, in the name of God, we have come here for the establishing of the Christian religion. And over the next 20 to 30 years, we call it the Puritan migration, thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of Christians, the best Christians you could find, they streamed into New England and they established the moral uh, foundation for what would later become known as the United States. And from the very beginning, they were against the exploitation of Native Americans. From the very beginning, they fought slavery. From the very beginning, they, now they weren't perfect, but they sought to establish a society that was based upon Judeo-Christian influences. And this was the moral foundation for the United States. And a hundred years later, then the Puritan descendants were set on fire by the Great Awakening. And it was out of the Great Awakening, uh, and because actually, because of the Great Awakening, that the American independence movement uh, gained traction. The Declaration of Independence was signed. The war was fought and won. And America was established not as a Christian nation, but as a nation that had a lot of Christians in it and which was established upon the moral foundations of the Puritan migration and the biblical teachings of the Bible about liberty and human dignity. And so when we say that America, you know, people ask me, is America a Christian nation? The answer is no, never has been, never will be in the sense that we have a state established church the way that they did in England or the way they did and still do in Europe. And no, it's not even a Christian nation in the sense that people are expected to or forced to be Christians. It's not even a Christian nation in the sense that most people here are followers of Jesus Christ, but it is a nation that was uniquely formed with a love for freedom, which was based upon the Judeo-Christian teachings found in the Bible by people who came seeking religious freedom. Now, that is what has been left out of the history books. They're trying to rewrite history with the 1619 curriculum, saying that from the very beginning, America was inherently uh, systemically racist. But the very ones talking about 1619 seem to be unaware of 1621. And, um, and that's being left out of the discussion. And so this is why, you know, I want people to know that there were powerful Christian undercurrents, not only in the establishing of America, but really all the way through these 250 or so years of our national history. Uh, this is a nation that would not be um, as flawed as we are. We would not be nearly as good as we are without the influence of the Bible. Amen. Very true. And I appreciate you kind of rehearsing that a little bit because I, I think it is something that is lost on this generation when it relates to 
uh, studying our own history. And um, it's like you say, they kind of focus on one aspect of it, but neglect the other aspect. And it's really important that we, we know all of our history, not just the part that fits a particular agenda. Um, in relation to the, the book, uh, as I flip through it, and I'm really excited about reading it even more so now that we've, we've, we've had this interview even thus far, I noticed that most of the chapters are, are, are very short, two to three pages. And uh, it, would you consider it um, something almost like a devotional? that you could use for a devotional or would is it just because there's so much information you try to just condense it to, to keep it in, in one volume or a combination of both? Yeah, it can. It, this is a, little, a hard book to classify because it could fit into several genres. Um, it could very easily be a daily devotional. You could read one of these stories every day and get a Bible verse and see how that Bible verse had an impact on some individual uh, or maybe some movement that was important in American history. Um, and in most of the segments, I discussed the Bible verse some and its context and, and what that verse, you know, really means. Um, it could be classified as a book you could use for family devotions. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of families don't have family devotions, but you could read this with your children or uh, you could uh, read it and watch. It's been made into a series by Fox Nation. Uh, and so you could subscribe to Fox Nation, which is very cheap, and sit down with your children five minutes a day. And in 100 days, give them a tour of the biblical history of America. Uh, or, uh, you know, you can listen to the Audible, like if you're on a family vacation. Uh, this is also... Uh, I think a history book. It tells the story really from Antonio de Marcinas, uh, who was a Spanish explorer, all the way up to uh, to Trump. Uh, I mean, you know, I, we uh, we span the totality of the American story um, in this book, and and I think there's important historical insights here. Uh, it's also a mini biography. You know, I give the I give summaries of the biographies of some of the great men and women in American history. So um, it's also uh, an a illustration, but for preachers and speakers. Um, you know, many pastors are searching for stories to use in illustrating their sermons, uh, especially in an election year when we don't want to be partisan, but we want to have good insights to share with our people about. Uh, uh, about, you know, things that relate to, to national life. And so, uh, uh, so I think there's a number of genres this book could be classified um, into, and, and, and there's a lot of ways it could be used. Could you share with us uh, maybe one, of, one or two of your favorite stories from the book that kind of whet people's appetite uh, to, to, before they go out and buy it? Yeah, I think, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I can give you... Uh, Several. I think Abraham Lincoln to me was one of the most interesting studies, and uh, I have several segments about Lincoln, and I'm indebted, especially to Stephen Manfield, uh, for his incredible book about Lincoln. But uh, here is is Lincoln's story in a nutshell. 
he grew up in Kentucky, uh, near where the Second Great Awakening burst into flame, uh, and his parents were tremendously impacted by the Second Great Awakening. Uh, but Lincoln himself was skeptical, and he rejected the faith of his parents. And as a young man, he began reading secular and, um, and atheistic literature. And he became, if he didn't become an atheist, he became very close to an atheist. Uh, he also became immoral. Uh, because of his atheism uh, uh, and his his melancholy, uh, you know he would he would frequent uh, prostitutes and houses of ill repute, and he also would uh, try to destroy the Bible um, and and the the destroy confidence in the Bible among other people. He even wrote a book. Uh, in which he disputed the Bible and sought to destroy and tear down its credibility. Uh, and a friend of his saw the manuscript and threw it in the furnace or in the stove and burned it up and said, if you publish this book, you will never be elected to office. Well, Lincoln ended up marrying, uh, of course, uh, uh, Mary Todd. And when her father died in Kentucky, Lincoln went down to Lexington to uh, to clear out the estate. And he found a book on the bookshelf in Mr. Todd's library. And it was a book of apologetics on the defense of the Christian faith and why Christianity uh, is, uh, uh, has, is trustworthy and, and why it has veracity. And he began reading that book. And it planted doubts in his heart about his atheism and his agnosticism. And he began to read the Bible and his opinion began to change. And he became a, a ferocious student of scripture. And uh, then when he was elected as president, uh, his writings, his speeches were full of the Bible. Uh, I mean, even before he was elected president, his famous house divided speech is an example of how the Bible impacted American history. Jesus said, a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. And Lincoln used that verse in the State House in Springfield and, uh, and gave his famous house divided speech about the dangers that would happen with the dissolution of the United States of America. Uh, but it got so that he was quoting the scripture completely. Uh, and I think that he genuinely became a born-again Christian. We cannot isolate a single moment in his life in which we know overtly that he was, he was converted or that he was baptized. But by the end of his life, he was talking and thinking and acting in every way like a Christian. His pastor in Washington affirmed that he was a Christian and According to Stephen Mansfield, the last words that he spoke during the play at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., he looked over at Mary and said to her, when this war is over and we are out of the White House, let's not go back immediately to Springfield. Let's travel abroad 
He said, I want to go to Jerusalem where the Savior lived. And at that moment, the bullet struck his head. And, um, and so the, the impact the Bible had upon Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest untold stories in American history. So I give a number of incidents here in this book when uh, Lincoln was impacted by the Bible. I'll, I'll give you one other quick story, and it has to do with Ronald Reagan. Um, as I was working on this book, a letter came to light that had been stored away in a cardboard box in the Bel Air, California home of uh, Nancy Reagan. After uh, President Reagan died and after she died, somebody was going through their things and they found a four page handwritten letter by Ronald Reagan on White House stationery dated to a particular Saturday during his presidency. And it was a letter that he had written to his father-in-law, Nancy Davis's father. Um, uh, and this man was a, a California surgeon and atheist who had been diagnosed with cancer. His name was Loyal, L-O-Y-A-L, Dr. Loyal Davis. And Reagan wrote a letter to him and the Reagan Foundation gave me the permission to quote it if I quoted it without leaving out a word or changing even the misspell words and the strange you know, punctuation marks. So we put it in there exactly the way he wrote it. But in essence, he said, dear Loyal, and I'm just paraphrasing. He said, I know this is very hard, referring to the diagnosis of cancer. But he said, I believe that God answers prayer. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, I will be there. And we believe that he answers prayer. And he said, you may not want to hear this, but I believe the Lord can bring joy into your life. He said, the man who lived 2,000 years ago was more than a man. He could not have been a lunatic. He could not have been a liar. He had to be who he said he was. He said, in the Old Testament, there are so many predictions about him, and it's impossible for all of those predictions to have come true by coincidence and by chance. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Darrell, you have never read a more evangelistic letter in your life than Ronald Reagan wrote to his father-in-law. And I don't know why everybody doesn't know these things. You know, from the very beginning, the Bible has made a difference in the lives of the men and women who have had the courage and the bravery uh, to play a role and the greatness of, a, of our nation, the chaplains. For example, uh, I tell about the four chaplains on the Dorchester uh, and what happened to them during World War II. And I mean, these stories cannot be lost uh, and our children need to know them. And I, I wish that, you know, I'm asking people to, uh, 
to give this book to their governors and to their congressmen, to their senators, to their local officials, to their mayors. I have a friend of mine who has a friend uh, who is a friend of Donald Trump. And I found out that this man, a former congressman, was, was going to the White House to have supper with the president. And I said, would you, uh, would you take President Trump this book? And I signed it to the president. And he took it with him, took it through the gates of the White House, took it into the White House, and the Secret Service took it away. <laughs> and they said, said uh, you can't give anything to the president, but we will check it out and pass it on to him for you. So I never know if it got passed on to him or not, or if it did, if he ever even saw it. But we need to get this book into the hands of, uh, it's not a partisan book. It is, uh, you know, I go out of my way to, some of the greatest people in our history have been Democrats and some Republicans and some independents and, and, uh, uh, and you know, it, it isn't, it's not a partisan book. It is a book about the role the Bible has played uh, in American history. So, so those are, you know, you asked for two or three stories and, and those came sort of uh, tumbling off the top of my head. But, um, but that's the kind of uh, material that I think you'll find here. Well, that's, that's awesome. I'm really excited about reading it. Um, I know there's a lot of parents right now because of COVID who are either choosing to homeschool their children or having to do school at home until they're able to go back to school. Um, I think this would be a great addition to homeschool curriculum or U.S. history homeschool curriculum to, to go along with the curriculum, you know, to kind of get a feel. Because one of the things that I noticed is it's chronological. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So it, it would be easy to find a story that would uh, – you know, go along with the, the time and history that they're studying. So, I, I really yeah, we do have a, we do have a lot of homeschoolers that use this, and I'm I'm an advocate for homeschooling and for Christian private schools. Um, we have a lot of great Christian school teachers who are in public education, not just school teachers, but administrators and board members and and staff members at public schools all over America. But I don't trust the curriculum writers. And I don't trust the politicians and I don't trust the judiciary. And so hats off to every Christian in public education. But one of the good things about this uh, coronavirus situation is it has really brought to the forefront the vital role that homeschooling plays in the mosaic of what makes up America's educational choices. And, uh, and this, this does fit perfectly with the homeschooling or with a, a Christian school setting. And if we can get it into public school libraries, uh, I think it would, it would be a worthwhile addition there as well. That's great. Dr. Morgan, if someone wants to purchase the book, I would assume they could get it on Amazon. Um, Many other yeah, places. Uh, all of the copies, all of the different editions of it, Kindle and Audible. Uh, this is the first book that I've ever read myself for an Audible book. Oh. Uh, from now on, I'm going to read all of them myself. 
Lord willing. Uh, I mean, who, I, I know I have one more book that I'm going to be doing on Audible because we've set up the, um, the recording dates for it. Um, but they're all there. But also, Daryl, if I can say so, uh, you, can, you can check this out at my website. But there's other things also at my website, which is robertjmorgan.com. And one is a weekly podcast um, that is really a weekly sermon. You know, when I was senior pastor, I preached a sermon every week. And, um, and now I, I don't have a place where I can preach a weekly new sermon every week. Uh, I do preach and speak in a lot of places, but I don't prepare a totally new sermon for that every week. And I need to be preparing a weekly sermon. So I, I, I do that now in my podcast, uh, which is at Robert J. Morgan. It is free. Uh, it'll, it'll, you know, you can just add it to your podcast list. Right now, I am preaching and teaching through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I just began that series. It's called Unstoppable, um, because that's what the gospel is. I'm very uh, optimistic about the church in America and the church in the world because of what an unsaved, non-Christian man said 2,000 years ago, Gamaliel. He said, if this movement is from God, it cannot be stopped. Yes. And so uh, that really is the theme of the book of Acts. So, um, so people can subscribe to my podcast there, order any of my books there. But also uh, on my social media, Daryl, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Parler, uh, I am putting a one-minute sermon every single day. Uh, and uh, right now I'm going through Philippians, but I'm going to do something it's the craziest thing that I've ever thought about doing. Uh, but I'm, uh, in about three weeks, I'm going to begin with the book of Genesis and preach through the Bible, literally minute by minute. It may take me 20 years. I may have to finish it in heaven. <laughs> but, um, uh, but anyway, if, if you'll follow Robert J. Morgan Ministries on Instagram, well, any social media platform, um, then, uh, then I think people would enjoy that as well. Yes. What are I mentioned? Uh, Simple. I mentioned uh, Red Sea Rules. Uh, what are some other books people may find there on your website that you've written? I have uh, two books that um, I think would be very helpful for small groups, uh, or for devotional books, or for gifts. One is called. Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. And this is about how to learn to meditate on Scripture, not transcendental meditation or Eastern meditation, but the kind of meditation that we read about in Psalm 1. Yep. Blessed is the person who meditates on God's Word day and night. How do we do that? So that's Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. Another book is called Always Near, and it's on the subject of practicing the presence of God every day. And um, then I have a couple of books, well, a series of books on the great hymns of the faith called Then Sings My Soul, and a little book that has been translated and used around the world, uh, and a lot of small groups use this for their studies. Uh, it's amazing um, that after 20 years, it's as popular as ever, but it's called The Red Sea Rules. And it's a very inexpensive little book 
for people going through difficulty, and it's based on the story in Exodus 14. So those are some of the books that, that may be encouraging to people. Yes, the Red Sea Rolls has been a, a real blessing in my life, and uh, I know it has in, in some of my friends' lives as well. So I really appreciate your ministry. I appreciate you uh, just allowing the Lord to use you and, and, and be a blessing to so many people. And uh, I'm really excited about reading this book and, and looking to see what God uses you to do in the future. Well, thank you, my friend. But we've all got to do our bit. And there is never any grounds in the Bible for us being discouraged. Mm. Um, this has been a horrendous year magnified mm -hmm. by the divisiveness of this election. But this is no time to be discouraged. Um, we can take our stand on Scripture. We have the presence of God um, and, uh, and we have his promises, um, thousands of them in the Bible, available to us with just the flip of our finger and with just a flicker of trust in our heart. And, uh, and so I hope the Lord will, will bless all of you and that he will bless you and your ministry and all that you're seeking to do. So thanks for letting me be, uh, come along for the ride today. Thank you, sir. God bless you. And You're when welcome. You think, when you think about it, pray pray for uh, Flagship Church in Erie. Yes, I love that title. The Lord bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.